Welcome, everyone. This is Steve Adubato. Welcome to the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour with my colleague, Mary Gamba. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. How are you today, Steve? Doing great. Mary and I were just talking in between uh, shows that we're taping today. I said, Mary, are you having fun with this? And you said... I said, I'm having a blast. I never knew how much I would love radio and just the feedback we've been getting is great and all the great people that we get to speak with. It's just wonderful. Absolutely. I want to thank all the folks at AM 970 for allowing us to be part of a great broadcast schedule over there. And by the way, make sure you check out our our good friend, Joe Piscopo, every morning Mm -hmm. from 6 to 10 a.m. It is a great show, and I love contributing to that show. But also thanks to the folks who follow us on podcasts. And how do people check out the podcast? While we're thanking people, New Jersey Resources, I want to thank them for helping to make this program possible. And then also the, uh, our listeners can follow us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D., and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter, uh, Steve Adubato. Uh, you could follow us on Twitter. And they can subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes as well as on Google Play. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, the other folks to thank are the clients at Stand and Deliver, the folks who have made a decision to put their faith in our company, Stand and Deliver, to help coach their folks around leadership and communication and related issues. And one of those great organizations is Valley National Bank. And we are thrilled right now to be joined. Mary was just talking about the great guests that we have on who are experts at leadership and come at it from so many different perspectives. We're joined by Yvonne Surowick, who is Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Valley National. Good to talk to you, Yvonne. Same here, Steve and Mary. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. And yes. Valley National Bank. Did I say, what did I say? You just said Valley National, so I just want to make sure that they know we're talking to Valley National it Bank. It is Valley National Bank, one of the fastest growing and successful banks in the country. Yvonne, let's get right into this. We talk about a leadership academy that was created at Valley National Bank. Um, there are some top leaders, potential leaders in the organization that are part of that entity that you created, that we work with you on. Could you talk about why leadership development, succession planning, and development of people is so critically important at Valley? Oh, it's incredibly important. Valley itself is in a, I won't say the word transformation, but more so an evolution in terms of where Valley, the bank, will be headed from a future perspective. When you think about the industry in general, banking is changing rapidly. And so for Valley, really, our our strategic imperative is to figure out how we compete in that future space. And those leaders are really part of the equation in terms of how do we really compete in a market that continues to evolve at a rapid pace. Yes, yeah, stay on this because Mary, you remember we had uh, one of the most compelling guests we had is yeah, the Ira. president and CEO at Valley National Bank. Uh, he was Ira, one of our first guests. Ira Robbins. Mm-hmm. A new leader comes in. Ira is very invested in developing people. You come on board as one of the senior executives at Valley National. How important is it for someone in your position, Yvonne, to have a colleague, a friend, and someone as the leader of the organization like Ira to do what you do every day? Incredibly, incredibly important. So for me, I've been with Valley now almost a year. 
And when I joined, Ira was not yet CEO, although he became CEO a couple weeks later. And that created or built upon a momentum in terms of where the organization was headed in that, as mostly everyone knows, he replaced a leader who had been in the role for a very long time. So for Ira really to establish his leadership brand and then for me to really, at the environment couldn't be any more connected, if you will, in terms of what he's driving from a CEO perspective and how do we, from a talent and a leadership perspective, really support Valley's vision. Stay on that. By the way, we're talking to Yvonne Sorwick, who is the Chief Human Resources Officer, Executive Vice President, Chief Human Resources Officer of Valley National Bank. You know, we often talk about high potential leaders. What exactly are we talking about? What are we looking for, Yvonne? So that's an interesting question. And I'll try to answer it not from a theoretical view okay. in terms of in terms of talent speak, sure. but from a business perspective in terms of how we think about those leaders that not only want to do more, that want to be challenged, that have the aspiration, and that have the desire, the desire to really make an impact on the organization. And for me, those are the leaders that stand out in any development program. When you evaluate the participants' interest, it's about can they really take this on in addition to their current jobs and really thrive in an environment where they are going above and beyond what they need to do every day to really develop themselves. And from an organizational perspective, it's a partnership, if you will. Valley invests in these leaders, and in turn, they invest in their own development. And to see the engagement as an outcome of that in Hmm. terms of the impact that they can make on an organization is truly sort of the success measure. Jump in, Mary. Yeah, I was just going to say, Yvonne, in terms of developing the leaders, and especially when you have a new CEO president coming on board, How do you get that buy-in? How do you make sure, especially with an organization as large as Valley National Bank and branches everywhere, how do you make sure to get that buy-in, that everyone's on the same page, that you're communicating to them what the vision is, whether it's the same vision that you've had since the bank began or if it's a new vision being led by IRA, communicating to the team is important. So can you talk a little bit about that, about how you get that buy-in so this way the team can evolve together as a team? So to get the buy-in, you really need to have a communication effort and be consistent in that communication effort. And not only broadly communicating across the organization, because that's important as well, but creating the environment where Ira and the leadership team have an opportunity really to dialogue with the leaders. So we, in fact, are embarking on a roadshow in the next couple of weeks as we go into the end of our calendar year and prepare for sort of Next year, Ira and many of the leaders will travel to our major sites and we'll have what we call a strategy summit where we invite managers and above. So it's, we go fairly deep in the organization, purposefully so, to share the strategy and create an environment really where they can ask questions and have those questions answered in a very transparent and candid way. Yvonne, I'm curious about something. By the way, that roadshow, we look forward to witnessing and learning from that Ira is going to be uh, leading with you and your colleagues. But I'm curious about something. Because I've done so much coaching and at Valley National Bank, and we have a select group of leaders that you and your colleagues really worked very hard to figure out who they would be, I'm curious about something. It's not about being negative, Yvonne, but it's being honest and candid. You and I have talked about Jim Collins's book, Good to Great, and the bus analogy, the great leader is the leader who is, quote unquote, driving the bus. That leader, as bus driver, knows exactly where the bus is going, why the bus is going 
to that location when the bus needs to get there. But also, here's the tricky part. Who needs to be on that bus with a finite number of seats? Who needs to be sitting in the right seats on the bus? But here's the tricky part. He or she, as leader and bus driver, knows that certain people, frankly, they're not in the right position to be on that bus for a variety of reasons. It's a long-winded way of asking this question, Yvonne. How have you dealt with the fact that some folks maybe just can't be on that bus? So we've had an opportunity this past year to create a shared understanding of talent and expectations around that talent with Ira and the leadership team. And we've made progress in terms of how do we think about the leaders that should be on the bus? And then we've had some agreements that each of us need to evaluate our teams against what we believe we need for the future and in some cases make some tough decisions. And while it's never easy to make those tough decisions, they're the right decisions. And in any organization that's moving forward, you'll have a blend of talent from the outside with existing talent from the inside. And what happens as you hire key talent from the outside, the bar starts to get set at a different place and in many cases rises. And perhaps your who you thought were your hmm. great leaders now don't look exactly in the same vein given sort of this comparison to some external talent. So it's important to develop your internal talent, but it's also important to continuously evaluate against what those needs are in the organization and be willing to make those tough decisions. Wow. How much of it is personal? What I mean by that is because a fair number of employees at the bank have been there for, quote, unquote, a long time. Is that part of the equation? We say, wow, someone's been here 20, 25 years. They've been loyal to the bank. But you and your colleagues make a very tough assessment that he or she either can't, won't, or some combination of the two meet the standard that is being set right now. Do you consider that or is that not relevant? No, it's absolutely relevant. And, you know, what's also important is that when you have that conversation with that individual, that it's not a surprise, that they have some understanding in terms of how it's been going. Because in many cases, the individual, when they become part of their own solution and help you really strategize in terms of what's best for them and what's best for the organization, then the outcome is stronger. Wow. Both because in those tough decisions, what really happens, it's not just about that individual. It's about the team's beneath them. So the, the teams that they lead are looking up and realizing that someone that they've worked for or trusted may be leaving the organization. And for that person to really be part of the solution, that's really what we strive for in terms of those decisions. Yvonne uh, Serwick is uh, Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Valley National Bank. One more question. I'm going to open up a Pandora's box, Mary Gamba. <laughs> but you said it before. I, I did a uh, seminar last week for the New Jersey Business and Industry Association. They had a conference on uh, women in leadership, empowering women, if you will. Um, and the Pandora's box is this, Yvonne. Do you believe in any substantial way that men and women in general or specifically, lead differently, and if so, how? I tell you, it's a Pandora's box I'm opening. Wow. Um, <laughs> you're right. You are. I'm you sorry, are. but it's, just, it's, it's <laughs> I heard so many women at this conference saying women have certain traits and characteristics as leaders, and that's what we need more of. And I'm thinking, okay, is that across the board? Is, is it, like, where are we getting that? So, I, you, so 
you're a woman lead. You're a, a leader who happens to be a woman. You've mm-hmm. you've dealt with all kinds of people and all kinds of organizations. So I'm curious about your thoughts. So there's a personal view that I have on on this particular question, and then there's more of the broader view. Personally, I started as a developer. And when I showed up as a developer, and it was only a couple of years before I realized that a career change was probably a good thing, but when I showed up as a developer, I didn't show up as a female developer. I wanted to be the strongest developer that I could at the time. And so for me personally, I've, along my career, really showed up in the best way that I could and really compared myself against myself versus whether I was working with males or females. From a Valley perspective, though, 70% of our population is female. Is that right? That's mm-hmm. fascinating. It I is. didn't realize and, that. And I'm really proud to say that as typically when you go up higher in management ranks, that number trails off. Yet when you look at our board, when you look at our executive team, we have at the executive team level about 40% representation from females. So from Valley, you don't see that difference because it really is balanced. Is that a concerted effort, Yvonne? I believe so. I believe so. The opportunities were created for the female leaders, and we continue to ensure that we're really evaluating at each level of the organization the individuals for positions and ensuring that we take a, a holistic view, if you will. And you know what's so interesting about this? The Valley National Bank Leadership Academy that I'm proud to be a part of, more than half of the candidates in the academy are women. And I was saying to Mary that there's a major organization that we do a different, not a financial institution, but let's call it a healthcare organization mm-hmm. that I do uh, a leadership institute for, an academy for. And there are 30 members in the academy Remember I told you how many are men? How many? Uh, I want to say 27. 27. 27, Yvonne. (laughs) So I do think it differs. It really is a cultural thing in terms of each organization and how that shows up. Hmm. And do women show up differently than men? In some cases, of course they do. I mean, there is a genetic difference. (laughs) Do you think it manifests? Do you think it actually manifests itself, Yvonne, in leadership style and execution? Yes. Yes. Wow. In, in, in some way, I think it does. The question is the degree of magnitude, right? We have to be authentic. We have to be authentic. At the end of the day, every leader has to be authentic. You know, however they identify themselves, they need to be authentic in terms of how they show up. Listen, I said to Yvonne, trust me, I'll just bring up a whole bunch of leadership things I've been thinking about. And I hope that we touched on the issues that you wanted to talk about. By the way, before I let you go, is there a leadership topic we have not touched on that you want to mention, Yvonne? You know what's interesting, Steve? I'd like to hear your answer to that question, given all the work that you've done oh, with leaders. That's why I love you, Yvonne. I'm going to sit back and... <laughs> do I think there's a difference? Yeah, do you think... I think I know the answer, but I, I'd like the world to know your answer. <laughs> I think that the more women have an opportunity to lead as they should, they face the same challenges, the same idiosyncrasies of ego and defensiveness and the challenges we face to be open to other points of view are faced pretty much the same. And the whole idea that women are basically more empathetic and compassionate and et cetera, et cetera, I think is on a case-by-case basis. I do not believe that that is some thing that is just 
there. I'm sorry, I don't. And uh, but I'd I'd love to see it tested more, and I'd love to see more women in leadership positions. And 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 you're just a testament to that. And I'm not just saying because you're a friend and a client, but it's just true. I've learned so much from you, and I'm Mary and I are proud to be a small part of a of a big organization in terms of the Leadership Academy. And just thank you for that opportunity. And thank you for joining us on the Leadership Hour, Yvonne. Thank you. Mary? Yeah, thank you, Yvonne, so much. Gave us a lot of great stuff to think about Yvonne, and talk about. Yes, you can go back and lead the organization with yeah. Ira every day. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. Take care. All right. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. I, I know I say wow a lot after. I know. But um, what is Yvonne doing asking me that question? I don't know the answer, but that's... I knew I liked her. I like her a lot. But, yeah, but, but, but it it is. I think it is good to hear your opinion on. We've asked a lot of questions to a lot of great people that we have on the show, but getting your perspective as a follow up or just to add on to it is great. You know, this, uh, by the way, Steve Adubato with Mary Gamba and uh, Brian Bradour here in the studio. Um, we are taping the Leadership Hour. Stay tuned for the second half hour of the Leadership Hour. Uh, which is, in fact, State of Affairs with Steve Adubato. It's an um, important, compelling series that we tape at NJTV Studios in Newark where we talk with leaders uh, largely in the public sector. But right now we're, we're, we're dealing with a whole bunch of leadership issues, and I'm going to put it on the table, the men and women in leadership positions. So I know it's anecdotal and it's not scientific, but I brought in – okay, so this Miss America thing. I'm not a huge fan of, of I'm not that I'm a fan or not a fan of Miss America. I don't follow the pageant that well. But I'm going to say something. Um, I, I've known Gretchen Carlson uh, for a long time. I, I did some commentary over at Fox when she was at the Fox News Channel. We've had her on the show at one-on-one out of our Lincoln Center studio, at WNET uh, studio. So I've known Gretchen Carlson, who is the chairperson, the head of um, – Miss America. They got rid of, as they should have, many of the guys who were leading Miss America, mm-hmm. the men forever who were leading it. And they wanted to bring in women in leadership positions that they felt would change the culture, uh, particularly in the age of the Me Too movement, if you will. Right. And Gretchen Carlson, uh, as some may know, uh, accused the late Roger Ailes, who was, in fact, the chairman, uh, the CEO of uh, Fox News of sexual harassment, it kicked off a lot of the Me Too movement in the media, if you will. Why am I mentioning all this? Because the, if I, help me if I get this wrong, the current Miss America charged uh, Gretchen Carlson and the other women leading Miss America with, this woman's name is Cara Mund, is that her name? The 2018 Miss America. She wrote a detailed letter saying that the women, including Gretchen Carlson and other women that Gretchen Carlson put in leadership positions at the Miss America contest, of bullying her, of chastising her unfairly, of treating her unfairly, of not being sensitive to her needs as Miss America. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. This is women. These are women in a leadership position who were supposed to be more empathetic, compassionate to women, et cetera, et cetera. And so they did away with the bathing suit contest. Okay. It's supposed to be more um, relevant to the times, but they're in leadership positions. And I'm thinking, what happened? Go ahead, Mary. Yvonne had said that the greatest leaders should be authentic to who they are. 
I'm not saying in this situation. By the way, I don't know what's true or not true there. I have no well, idea. I was just going to say that. We're just speculating based on, and that is, I, I think that is one of the biggest challenges that we are going to see over the next 12 months, two years, whatever. Well, excuse me, men get accused of being bullies. Men get in leadership That's positions. That's what I'm talking about. And those about. are accusations. And, and it's so frustrating because it does become a he said, she said, or in this case, a she said, How about she if it's said. someone's perception? And but that's where we're going to run into a huge. I mean, this is a huge leadership challenge. What right? is it? It is the accusations. It is the whether you want to say it's part of the Me Too movement or what have you. We have created an environment where, yes, we do want people to speak up if there has, God forbid, if there's been abuse, if there's been uh, verbal harassment, if there's been any type of wrongdoing, you shouldn't have to hide. You should not have to uh, keep it in and not be able to speak out. But on the flip side, is it creating a situation where someone may be coming forward and maybe accusing somebody of someone, maybe just because they were wronged, maybe because they weren't granted a raise or a promotion and they're going to use it, true or untrue, to their advantage. What do you mean? But Jump see, on Mary, the bandwagon because then you're it's slander. Then you're you're dragging this person. And I don't know what's true and not true I in don't this know. case. Any cases going on right now in our in our country. By the way, Mary's also talking. At, <laughs> uh, we're going to date ourselves. <laughs> and when we're, we're, we're taping this, but the Kavanaugh, right, the Supreme Court situation with Judge Kavanaugh and a second accusation of sexual, quote, misconduct. Mm -hmm. I don't know when he was either 17 and then at, at Yale when he was a freshman. We don't know what's true or not true. There's going to be hearings there. So what will happen will happen. Right. But that's really not the issue. It's not. But it is it a leadership question? Because his qualities as a leader on the United States Supreme Court in a lifetime appointment as we are taping this program – they are. This is a leadership question. It's about character. It's about a lot of these accusations, and this goes back to how we started the conversation: is are women more empathetic? Are women and men do they communicate differently, and do they have a softer side? I think it is more about the person, the individual, as the leader. So whether you're talking about what's going on right now, um, in terms of just it all goes back to character, and. Character is something I think that you're born with, and then what you do with that character, what you do with that as a leadership trait as you continue to develop and lead or not lead your team or your organization forward, but it is creating a challenge today with this Me Too and the age that we're in, and whether it's good or bad, I don't know. It's yet to be seen. Okay, because but uh, go ahead. Yeah, finish your point. No, I was just going to say it's all about communication, and it's about being a leader, and it's about being how you can rise above, you know, the accusations. Yeah, but here's the thing, uh, Steve Adubato here with Mary Gamma on the Leadership Hour. This is what I struggle with, and I, I have said this to my wife, Jennifer. I said, you know, in the age of the Me Too movement, I often ask myself. You know, because we have 10 people on our team. Yeah, it's all women. And, all women. Mm -hmm. Always have, has been. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but they're just really talented and they're good. We're good at what we do. We get stuff done. Yep. I asked myself, you know what? Could someone have said over the years of the 25 plus years that I've been running the not-for-profit production company that produces programming on public television and other platforms, could someone have, quote, unquote, accused me? Now, I, I'm convinced around the sexual issue, eh, I'm not buying it. But it could. Could someone more realistically accuse me of, dare I say, creating a, I'm going to use the word hostile mm -hmm. work environment? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, Steve has raised his voice. Steve has um, used profanity on occasion or more than that. And you know what? It was threatening to me. 
And the answer realistically would be, yeah, mm -hmm. they could. Now, a lot of this is written about in my book, Lessons in Leadership, the things that I've learned from acting in ways that were inappropriate. But say someone said, I, I felt threatened. Right. What do I do with that? Yeah, it, it is. It opens up a Pandora's box. It does, you know, get into different legalities. And... But it's not truth or not. Exactly. That's If someone says... Perception. But then I argue, well, you weren't that good at what you were doing, mm -hmm. and therefore that's probably the reason why you said it. Well, how does anyone know? How about if someone really perceives that the way I handled the situation was threatening to them or was hostile, whether it was my intent or not, as opposed to saying, listen, this is unacceptable. This is work that's not... I, I, it's more assertive than that. It's like, this is crap. This is crap. It's not good enough. And we're not going to get this done. And you need to do this by, oh, my God, I don't like the way Steve's talking to me, mm -hmm. you say? Because you've been on the other end of this as well. Let's not play games here. Oh, no, of course I have been. And, and you've challenged me on it. And I have challenged you on it because there is a difference. Not recently. No, definitely not. Because great leaders evolve and take feedback and apply it. And you have done so, which is fantastic. And to your credit as a leader and of the organization. And I will not argue with that. Exactly. <laughs> And but there there have been times and when when the stakes are high, the emotions get high. And when mistakes are made at those moments, things or are the stakes be aren't even that high and you act like they're high. Oh, that's the worst. And yep. you go from zero to 60. I've said to you a million times, you can't get as angry because I used a wrong name in an email as you do if I lost a $50,000 proposal or grant because I missed a deadline for a year. So it's it proportionality. needs to be, it has to be proportionate. Because if not, then it's just going to become noise and no one's even going to listen because, well, he yells at me all the time anyway. So then you just shut down and you don't even listen and you just come to work every day and do your job. And but, but, but go back to the whole question of the way this whole conversation started is in the quote Me Too movement. Yeah. Leaders. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be the CEO. You could just be a leader in an organization yeah. who happens to be a man. Right. Do you think there's an environment that we're in right now that... Because women don't get accused of this for yeah, some reason. Yeah, I, I would not want to be a man right now. I mean, you're talking- In a leadership position. You're talking people with pensions on the line. You're talking with people that have worked hard, their reputation. If somebody has worked at an organization for 25, 30 years, and then an accusation comes out, even if it's found to be unwarranted, untrue, there will be that tarnish on your brand and on who you became, and that's very unfortunate. Yeah, okay, yeah, but there are people like Les Moonves, who was the leader of CBS, who made a ton of money for them, who made a ton of money for himself, who allegedly mm -hmm. treated women in a horrific fashion. Right. Um, but there's also But there's Harvey Weinstein. There's also there's, my former colleague, Charlie Rose, um, all kinds of folks. Many uh, Matt of these, Lauer, who yeah. knows what happened. But Mary, it's not like this stuff is made up. Some of it all of those situations, there there is evidence. There's factual basis. There were witnesses. Yes. There's a paper trail, paper Go trail ahead. of people saying in some of the situations, you know, a doctor or a nurse that was treated by one of the people that you had said. There's email. You and know. by the way, a lot of leaders in those organizations turned a blind eye to this stuff, which is a real lack of leadership. Go that ahead. is a lack of leadership. But then you get on the flip side of it where it could even just be one out of the blue. Hey, when we were 15 at a party, you did X, Y, and Z. And how do you go back? How do you prove or disprove? How do you even, you know, again, we're going to date ourselves, but, you know, when the trial happens this week, when, you know, it. You're talking it, about the uh, Senate testimony. Exactly. But. With, with, with Judge Kavanaugh. Yeah. So how do you prove or disprove? What do you, you know, you're going to get each other. leadership is not a court of law. But it, but this is kind of turn, and I hate to use the word kind of because it's a qualifier, but it is turning it into, I just hope that it 
it goes in the right direction. I hope What's that the, the right direction? The right direction is that people who have been afraid to speak up, to afraid to say who are afraid to say, I have been wronged, I have been mistreated in a way Or I was put in a position to make me feel as if I did not respond in a sexual mm-hmm. fashion to this yeah. overture. My job was at risk, right. my career is at risk. That's real. That is real. But what and I men don't have been want, doing that for a very long time. But we can't Some go the men. way that little league and all of this, where everyone gets a trophy at the end of the day. And what does that have to do with getting a trophy? It has to do with sometimes I do believe that there's people in or, in an organization. It's easier to play victim. It's easier to say you don't like me. You're treating me differently than Bob down the hall. You're treating me this way because I'm a woman. You're treating me this way because I'm older, younger, millennials. Whatever you want to say, whatever you want to fill in the blanks with. And that's not fair to do to a leader who, sure, maybe they could have handled the way that they communicated when something went wrong in a better fashion. But that does not preclude them from saying tough things, giving really hard to hear feedback that may, frankly, make you angry. He made me cry. Yeah, exactly. But Which you means know he what? must be a mean part. But a that's mean not leader. illegal. That's not that's that's the real world. But so you, you said need character. To... You think. Listen, I. I mm. Do you think people have ever cried after I gave them feedback? I've cried after you've given me feedback. So yes, I. I you don't have to actually say. I'm. That. I'm proud to say it. And and again, whether that's a man thing, a woman thing, I've seen men cry as well. Not with your feedback, because we have all women in our office. But there are. It's even tears of frustration. But sometimes. you are also potentially going. To, I don't want to get too deep into this. And you can read lessons in leadership, my book, to find out more about it. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, Mary was about to leave the organization yeah. a few years ago, and part of it was around my quote-unquote leadership yeah, style. Exactly. because it And your does, frustration around it. Yes, but I also wouldn't have said to the media or to uh, my legal defense team that I was treated so poorly that we need to do a whistleblower thing on Steve Adubato because he told me that my work was subpar and I need to get my act together. That would be a victim mentality in your that mind? That would be a victim mentality. And again, it's it's I am not discounting any. Of course, there are horrible stories out there and people who have faced horrible, horrible situations. That's where this is so valid and so relevant and the time is right for them to stand up and come forward. You think we're at a tipping point? I hope we're at a tipping point, meaning in a good way. I think tipping point could be good or bad, right? If I'm understanding well, well, the expression, whatever. well, I, something. Mm. It needs to balance out. It needs to. I feel that there needs to be a point where common sense comes into play a little bit, and that we do level out a little bit, as opposed bit. to what you perceive to be a rush to judgment. Yes. Because wow. I feel bad. I, I do feel bad. And again, man and woman, I'm a woman here. I feel bad for the men out there who have done a great job, who have worked their tail off to get to where they are. And an accusation. Are, you one, are we all one accusation away in your mind? Absolutely. Really? I, I You know, you can't get people to on see or on hear an accusation. And once it's out there, it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle. And even though I know that so-and-so has been cleared of whatever allegation it was, it's always going to be there. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe even though the court of law decided that it really didn't happen the way and that very they, rarely do they go to court, by the way. Yeah. But but your you, board we, decides the mm-hmm. leadership decides. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so interesting. And someone might say, why are you talking about all this if it's a, if it's a leadership show? Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because everything, it's all leadership. It's all whether you're talking men or women in leadership. It is about, uh, again, us stepping up, being leaders, being good people. And at the end of the day, that's really, you know, when we're 95 and looking back on our lives, or were we a good person? By the way, real quick, uh, a lot of people believe that if more women were in leadership positions, less of this would happen. Oh, I, I, I'm not convinced of that. You just uh, 
brought it up America with the Miss America situation. So, but that's not sexual. Um, yeah, but it's still it's 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 opening up that door where it could be bullying and mean girls and all of that. I mean, are there really mean girls? Yeah, you were yeah. not one of them, were you? I I was for a little while. You were not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my I God, was. we'll talk about that on another show. Mm-hmm. See, people think they know exactly what's going to happen on the Leadership Hour, but the reason you don't is because I don't, and neither does Mary. But I'll tell you what, fascinating discussion. I hope you enjoyed it. This has been the Leadership Hour. I'm Steve Adubato. That is Mary Gamba. We will be back next Sunday at 2 p.m. on AM 970 for the Leadership Hour. And you can also check out our podcast mm-hmm. and um, listen. I've learned a lot today. Hope you have as well. Check out next week. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Michelle Adubato. The North Ward Center is committed to educating the public about the importance of community programs that give all New Jersey residents a chance for a better life. That's why we're proud to support the important educational programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the New Jersey Education Association. The Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ. The Northward Center, New Jersey Sharing Network, dedicated to saving lives through organ and tissue donation. Summit Medical Group, Delta Dental of New Jersey, everyone deserves a healthy smile. And by Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters, your future is in our building. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and by Insider NJ. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We are, in fact, coming to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio of Newark, New Jersey. It's my honor and pleasure to once again welcome State Senator Joseph Vitale who is uh, the chair of the Senate Health, Human Services, and Senior Citizens Committee, vice chair of the Senate Labor Committee. Good to see you, Senator. Good to be here. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, Let's jump right into a variety of issues. First one, Catholic Church, no secret, um, crisis going on for decades now involving priests who have, in fact, assaulted, abused um, disproportionately young boys. Pennsylvania grand jury investigation produced what? And then we'll talk about New Jersey. Well, the Pennsylvania grand jury produced uh, 900 pages of report, uh, 1,000 victims and counting, 300 priests were named uh, in that abuse over decades. Uh, and that's just really the tip of the iceberg for the rest of the country. In New Jersey, we have the same problem. You know, sadly, the, our Catholic Church in New Jersey recently stated that uh, New Jersey is no Pennsylvania. I don't even know what that means. Mm. Uh, the abuse, that was the official statement of the That was the, one of the official statements, yes, initially. Uh, you can look at us, but we're no Pennsylvania. That's just wrong. We know that. I've worked with victims and survivors for 20 years in, in the legislature uh, when I've been in, since I've been in office, and I have met with dozens of them. Uh, and the stories are just awful. How the church hasn't responded appropriately. Now, the attorney general has launched an investigation. I've asked them to do that. They're going to panel a grand jury Attorney eventually. General Graywall. 
very well here in New Jersey. Right. Uh, going to panel grand jury eventually after the task force does their work. They're going to subpoena all the records and find out where the truth is. What's the goal? Pardon me? What's the goal? The goal is to establish that there has been over decades not just a pattern but institutional abuse uh, and a cover-up uh, by certain bishops over time. And that abuse has not stopped. We still hear about cases today. Uh, I think the church has done a better job trying to weed out you know, bad actors. But when you rape a child, uh, there, is no, there is no excuse. There's no justification for that, of course. And now many years later, when they're adults, uh, they have no remedy other than to sue their abuser or their rapist uh, and the institution that may have enabled that abuse in court. And that's what we're fighting for. We're talking with State Senator Joseph Vitale. This is a national issue, not just a New Jersey or New York issue. Um, statute of limitations as it relates to these cases, your legislation says what about that? Well, I've worked with the survivors and they said we need a compromise. Two years is too short. So right now it's two years after mm -hmm. the incident or? It's two years after the discovery. Okay, so discovery. If, you're, if we turn 18, uh, you have two years to bring a claim, meaning that the statute of limitations says that the discovery rule is this. Uh, once you connect that, the, your injury, the psychological emotional damage has been done to you with the abuse, you have only two years to bring a claim against your abuser or the institution. What's wrong with that, Senator? Well, it's too short because you have you, victims and survivors have not ever reconciled this abuse. Uh, they, they, they live with it every day. They're not told their wife, their husband, their mother, their father, their, their sister, their brother, their kids that this happened. And they expect them to tell their family what happened to them and relive that abuse again. It's like asking a rapist to relive the rape and all those awful memories that they've mm -hmm. carried with them all these years. And so two years is too short. Uh, the, the survivors would like seven or eight years uh, or age 55. It's, it's not complicated, but uh, the legislature has been much more ex, uh, accepting of making change now. The mood is right to do this? It's always been right, but now... Well, it's always been right, but it hasn't been done. It has, no, there have been other been attorneys general <laughs> who have not done it. There have been other government officials at the highest levels in the state of New Jersey who have either refused or couldn't or whatever you want to say. No, this is not a secret. They have known it, and they have chosen not to pursue this from a legal, governmental, public policy, legislation, none of it. I've asked them for... And is that an overstatement? No, it's not an overstatement. I've asked them for... I've been in office for 20 years, and I've met with every attorney general. Uh, and they've all said, well, we're not, we have this memorandum of understanding with the church. And Saying doing, what? They're doing a better job of you know, cleaning up their act. And, How about naming the people? Uh, How about naming the people who raped little boys? No, girls. that wasn't part of the agreement, was it? No, only going forward. Only going after that agreement. You yeah. mean if something happened after that? Before what about that. So if something happened before that, we don't need to hear about it. We need to know about it. It's after the fact. After 2002, they enter into an agreement with the church, and they say that yeah. you shall tell every story going forward, but not, uh, not retrospectively. Uh, Steve Adubato, this is State of Affairs, talking <clears throat> with Senator Joseph Vitale, uh, the issue of uh, sexual abuse, um, the assault of young boys by priests in the Catholic Church and the way the church has dealt with it. Wondering, where is the church on this? Our executive producer, Jackie Heyer, our entire team, we reached out to the church more officially, more specifically, the, my arch, my diocese, Archdiocese of Newark. We are waiting for Cardinal Tobin to agree to, I don't know, Jackie, tell me how many times we've asked. We're waiting, look forward to that interview. It's been many, many times, and I promise you he will be here, hopefully, and respond to those questions. Is that part of the story? That well, they're not very public about how they talk about this? No, they don't. There was a prayer service just last week at the Basilica, and, and uh, they asked for prayers for the survivors, and they talk about how sorry they are that this happened, and I know they're being very genuine about that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they've really exposed what happened. And the Pope? 
Well, I'm disappointed in the Pope that he hasn't gone far enough. Uh, he has to say that all the bishops that knew, any archbishop, any bishop, any church leader who knew about this abuse has to go. One more thing on this. Uh, we'll have the Attorney General in the state of New Jersey, uh, Attorney, Graywall, or Attorney General Graywall, who will be joining us. There is, in fact, Jackie, if we can find that hotline and put it up, there is Attorney General's office. They have a hotline where people 24-7 can call. If they have been abused, they have a case they want to report dealing with what we're talking about right now. That's how important it is. Let's shift gears. And it's ringing off the hook, by the way. <clears throat> I know. They, they, apparently, they can't even handle the number of calls. <clears throat> Excuse me, Senator. We tell, I talked offline with you about an initiative we have called Right from the Start, NJ. Um, our team will put up the website right now. Looking to protect, take care of, deal with the needs of infants and toddlers, zero to three. We had State Senator Teresa Ruiz here, your colleague, talking about legislation you're involved in. We had the Commissioner of Health. Commissioner of um, uh, Family Services, I'm, I'm not sure the exact title of the, um, the department, but a whole range of other government officials dealing with this population. What is the primary focus and concern you have as it relates to dealing with those who are zero to three and prenatal care connected to that as well? for moms who give birth? Sure. Well, we know that there, well, there are a number of issues involved in that uh, this, uh, particular topic. Uh, all parents know, and most experts will tell you, that a child's development between the ages of zero and three is paramount to their development over time. If we don't get them earlier, uh, sooner, uh, then they fall behind. They fall behind those children who have, have access to mm. take care of child care uh, and good teachers. Uh, so we're, we're hoping that over time, particularly children and families who don't have the means and the wherewithal to afford childcare. We just had a child nine months ago, it's expensive. To expect a, a middle class or, or a low-income family. Yeah, low, low income family. Thank you. Low income family. <laughs> you told me I'm sleeping, sleeping a little bit. Oh, a little better. <laughs> a little better. Mom's, ta mom's taking the beating, not me. Got it. Uh, but if we don't catch them early enough, then uh, it's, it's, it's tragic for them because they fall behind. What about child care workers? We did, Teresa, Senator Ruiz talked about this. What are, we, what are we paying child care workers? Is it enough? How does this impact who we're recruiting and retaining into this critically important field, protecting infants and toddlers? Well, it's just like we talk about home care workers, people who come into the homes or folks who work in nursing homes, people who have the toughest jobs, you know, people who are taking care of children. Uh, many times it's three or four at a time, right? That's the limit. That's the ratio. It's, it's difficult work, and it's important work. And if we don't mm -hmm. pay them a living wage with benefits, how are we going to recruit and retain people? Anyone who's watching this knows that if you have a job, even if it's... You wake up sometimes, you're not happy about going to work, but you're making a good living, you're right. providing for your family. If you can't do that as a child care worker, you're going to go someplace else. Educating the public about prenatal care. Mm -hmm. And again, we'll put up our website again. Why is that so important? Well, prenatal care is uh, important for the mom and for the kid. So we, St. Barnabas, Robert Wood Barnabas and the Barnabas Health System have done a great job at a new initiative uh, to really ramp up it's called Stop, Look, and Listen, to talk to the mom just after they've, they've given birth and before to make sure that she's okay and there are signs that they need to sort of acknowledge if she is, if she is in trouble or maybe right. in trouble going forward. Uh, but prenatal care is, is paramount in New Jersey, especially in urban communities where healthcare access is limited through Medicaid providers. Those moms don't get the prenatal care they need and the kids suffer for it. We're talking to State Senator Joseph Vitale, the leader of, uh, in the state legislature when it comes to a whole range of health care issues. Steve Adubato here, this is State of Affairs. The Trump administration and their efforts as it relates to, I'm not going to say dismantling, but changing the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in New Jersey? A and B, what are you and your colleagues doing to protect New Jerseyans and their health coverage? Well, Donald Trump and the Republicans in Washington, as you said, made it uh, a mission. when I mean Congress. Congress, right, uh, to dismantle the ACA. Uh, and they've been doing a pretty good job of it lately, but New Jersey has stopped them. So uh, Governor Murphy signed my legislation just a couple of months ago 
uh, that requires individuals in New Jersey to have health insurance. Uh, the Republicans in Congress and the President are, are doing away with that at the end of the year, and that's very important to know that. Is that the individual mandate? The individual mandate. So you have to have insurance. Uh, and we also passed the bill the governor signed uh, that will lower insurance rates in the individual market by nearly 9% next year. Uh, it's a new reinsurance model. It's adopted by states across the country. Republican and Democrat governors, Scott Walker in, Washington, in, in Wisconsin, you know, Republican, Democrats in New Jersey and in Oregon and others, other places have uh, adopted this new measure. Lower insurance rates, that's never happened in the history of health insurance. So that'll go down next year for those individuals. And so we've done what we can to push back against Washington, push back against what Trump and the Republicans in Congress have said is there's an awful health care system. And they've never suggested replacing with anything better. Right, what happens if the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, Obamacare, were done away with, repealed totally? What do you think would happen? Well, it would be a disaster for millions of Americans and for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of New Jerseyans, because they will be left without insurance. <clears throat> and those who are left with insurance, whether through business or, or, or otherwise, uh, will pay more because those who are people who are sick uh, will go to the hospital, those rates will skyrocket, and those costs are pushed onto health insurance plans that the rest of you and I have. But, but Senator, before I let you go, there are some aspects of the Affordable Care Act that you and many others have acknowledged, hey, wait, it's not right. It's not working the way it should. Well, look, the, I think that if the, if the subsidies that we provide for low-income families was greater, because uh, you have a bubble, right? You could, if you right. earn a certain amount of money, you get a subsidy. Just over that, you don't. I'd love to see the federal government be able to say, look, we're going to raise that cap, but they won't do that because they want it to, they want it to fail. Uh, if we did it in New Jersey... They want it to fail? Of course they do. They've said that they want it to fail. They want to dismantle Obamacare, or the Affordable Care Act. By failing and then saying, you see, we were right? Well, making sense of what they're saying has never made sense. This is uh, State Senator Joseph Vitale. Um, Joe, I want to thank you for your service in the state, the role you're playing um, in the Senate Health, uh, Human Services, and Senior Citizens Committee, and also the Vice Chair of the Senate Labor Committee, and also, more importantly, being a dad, new dad. It's great How stuff. Many months again? Nine and a half. <laughs> Best thing I ever did. Thank you, Joe. Thank Appreciate you, Steve. Stay right My there. pleasure. State of Affairs, Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. We're pleased to welcome two very good friends of the show, uh, Brendan Gill, Democratic strategist, excuse me, Essex County Freeholder, and principal in the B. Gill Group, and also Mike Duhame, Republican strategist, partner at Mercury. Good to see you, gentlemen. Hey, Steve. You want to talk a little politics? Sure, sure. Okay, we're in the fall of 2018. Are people engaged in this so-called midterm election with the U.S. Senate race, Bob Menendez, Bob Ugin, and a bunch of congressional races? Are people saying, hey, I'm in? I, I got to tell you, Steve, from from the Democratic side of the aisle, um, I've never seen this much engagement uh, in a midterm election year. I've been involved uh, in campaigns up and down this state over the last uh, 20 years. Um, happened to also uh, participate, you know, uh, in local party activity. I uh, have never had more people raising their hand uh, to volunteer, uh, to canvas, to phone bank, uh, to plug in. 
Uh, so there is a lot of engagement. See energy. What uh, do you the, see, there's Mike? a lot of energy out yeah, there. Yeah, I think one way you engage uh, intensity and energy is through the number of votes, the sheer number of votes that are cast. And, and looking at primaries is a bit of a harbinger. And if you look at what happened in New York, the, the turnout in New York uh, just uh, a few days ago, the, last week. The Cuomo uh, primary? Cuomo primary was double what it was four years ago. If you look at the New Jersey primary this year, Democrats had a very high turnout. And it's something that people overlooked in the 2016 presidential election. There was far more intensity on the Republican side in the primaries. There was so much focus on Donald Trump, but Hillary Clinton was getting far fewer votes than Barack Obama right. when he won the primary. So there is intensity on this side, no. on the Democrat side. I think you have to, if you're a Republican, you have to you have to see that and acknowledge it and obviously figure out a way to fight through it. But that intensity is there. I would agree with Mike on that point, too, Stephen. Also, one even statistic from the gubernatorial election last year in the state, uh, in the Democratic primary, uh, there were more votes. Uh, Governor Murphy at that time, Candidate Murphy at that time. I think you did received, you run that campaign? I did run. I did run that I'm campaign. We know you ran the campaign. That's <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, <laughs> got to get well, it while you can. Exactly. I was going to say we received, we received under some brilliant leadership. Um, we received more. Uh, Ambassador Murphy at the time received more votes, uh, just raw votes, than were cast in total in the Republican primary. You know, so you can, I agree with Mike, you can sometimes see the intensity on either side by looking at primary numbers. And I could tell you anecdotally, just being out there in the field quite a bit, there is, there is some real intensity out there. So, Mike, let me ask you, how much of this race, the U.S. Senate race between Menendez and Yugen, how much of several congressional races, by the way, I think at 23 or 24 seats, the Democrats have to turn around the House. They have to win 25, they'll have a majority. You have to win 25 seats in the lower House for the Democrats to have control of the lower House, which could have all kinds of implications. Let's leave impeachment discussions off the table. How much of this U.S. Senate race in New Jersey and the congressional races are influenced by, let's just simply say, President Donald Trump? Uh, they're, they're very much impacted. Historically, the mid, first midterm of, uh, of uh, president in power, their first time after two years, historically is bad for the party in power. George W. Bush being an exception, the year after September 11th being an exception where Republicans picked up seats. But if you look even at President Obama's numbers, Republicans, picked, seats. Republicans picked up 63 seats in the House in 2010. 63. 63. And his numbers, for as much as, you know, we, we look at Donald Trump and I think in this part of the country as, uh, you know, very unpopular, his numbers are actually nationally not that different than President Obama's were at this time in his in his real. So 63 seats are what happened in 2010. If you look back, even even Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, um, Bill Clinton, obviously 1994 was a was a Republican revolution. There is this pushback. So it's a factor. People are looking at it as a factor right now and, and whether or not they want to check him. And that's why these individual races then will take some shape. But, but mm. certainly the backdrop is one that is traditionally favorable or typically favorable historically to the party that's actually out of power. Right. And uh, so I think you're seeing that and, and Republicans are going to have to fight against that. It's right there, right. Brendan. Steve Adubato here with Brendan Gill and Mike Duhane. By the way, if you want to find out more about the congressional races, we have uh, U.S. Senator Bob Menendez and his Republican challenger, Bob Hugan. It's a uh, half-hour special with the two, again, two of them. You want to check out the congressional candidates? Check out my colleague, uh, Michael Aaron, who does a better job than anyone interviewing those candidates on his program, On the Record. Check Michael out there. You were going to say? I was going to say, Steve, too, that I think the other thing that you're seeing from 2016 to your original question about what is the Trump um, fact, is it the Trump factor that's causing that engagement? And I what would do you say, think? absolutely. Um, you know, what I've seen uh, in a state, again, in New Jersey at least, um, that uh, there were many people who, at least in the Democratic base, who voted but didn't do much more than vote. And I can't tell you how many people are out there saying that they need to do more. So they're participating actively 
uh, in these congressional campaigns in a way that they haven't in the past. What, what's the result of that? You see uh, Democratic congressional candidates uh, competing in districts here in New Jersey that we have never competed in before. Uh, so there, there absolutely is a huge impact on the president. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to say I agree with Mike, though, in terms of the challenge for a sitting president in the midterm elections. You I, think this I, is different? I, I agree, but I, I think there's something different going on what out is there it? right now. So I, again, I think it's... Um, I think it's a combination of factors. It's a combination of the president, his style, the day-to-day -day, uh, news that's coming out of Washington, and also um, this idea that people uh, who were surprised by that result, um, again, I'm talking really more specifically to New Jersey, not nationally, right. but many people within New Jersey, I think, um, across the board, were surprised um, that he won, and they, and, they, and, they, and they decided and have decided that they need to be more a part of this process. And is process. this the time they show and this that? is the time they show it. <clears throat> Mike, how challenging is it? Forget about policy for a second. Even with one policy in New Jersey that matters, and we've spoken to several, uh, well, Steve Sweeney, the Senate, president of the Senate, will be here. Other members of the legislature, members of Congress, will talk about the imp impact of SALT deductions, state and local tax deduction, a cap on $10,000 of $10, the federal government has put on uh, New Jerseyans, across the na everyone across the nation on your state and local taxes. By the way, that matter? It matters in New Jersey. I mean, disproportionately, there are four <clears throat> states that ended up <clears throat> really being hurt by that, New Jersey being one of the biggest California, ones. California, New York? Uh, and Maryland being Got the fourth, with, along with New Jersey. So there was a, uh, yes, I think, but, but there is the, the counterbalance of that is that the economy is going very well. Now, it really if, is. Now, if the president could speak just about that and not about a myriad of other things, he hasn't shown the ability to do that at this point. But I think if you could focus just on that, Republicans would be very happy and they would be able to say, we're putting conservatives on the Supreme Court, we are uh, getting tax cuts, the economy is going in a good direction. So many of those other indicators, the, the many people who voted for the president should be happy with, but there are so many distractions out there that we're not talking about the economy. Normally, we would be talking about the economy be a good thing, and, mm -hmm. and it would really be a pushback against that historical norm that I well, talked about, but, but it's not a focus. Could, that's Mike Duhame. This is uh, Brendan Gill. I'm Steve Adubato. Brendan, I'm going to ask sure. you guys both this. Don, is it, is it the Trump party, or is it still the quote-unquote Republican party? I think it's both at this point. I think Donald Trump is the leader of the party, whether everybody in the party likes it or not. He is the president of the United States. And with that, that defines the party to most people. It defines the party certainly to the opposition party and to independents. Is it challenging for And you, within Mike? the Republican Party, it is a challenge. As I mean, a very middle-of-the-road uh, Republican who's dealt with all kinds of people, yeah. uh, was a key leader, um, an advisor to Governor Christie, worked across the aisle. Is Trump hard to have him be the leader of this party? It's difficult because there are certain parts where the party, uh, where I and others, I mean, you never agree with anybody 100% of the time, right? But this, there are certain parts, certainly in New Jersey, where we're as diverse as we are and some of the, some of the issues that come up that have uh, uh, racial overtones, ethnic overtones, that, that we're very uncomfortable really with. Or that really didn't it. die in Puerto Rico as a Democrat. Yeah, those are, those, are, those are very difficult. <laughs> I think the hard part for a lot of Republicans is there are some policies we agree with and the style and some of the rhetoric is something that we, we find intolerable. Got it. Well, Brendan, about the Democrats, I'm curious. Mm -hmm. You've got democratic socialists, folks very far to the mm -hmm. left, mm -hmm. who are winning in certain primaries. Mm -hmm. You've got other mainstream, um, let's just say you've got mainstream Democrats and you have Steve Sweeney, the president right. of the Senate, coming here in just a little bit. Right. How fractured is the Democratic Party these days and which party are you a part of? <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, let me take it. Is the that big? Yeah, it's a big district, <laughs> a big state. Um, we said Republican so, Party, we say Big Ten, small doors. Yeah. <laughs> small doors, good one. What do you got, then, then then It's not good for me either way, then. Um, what do you got? So, very quickly, um, it, it's not a, 
we are in an environment that I would say the word is progressive, not just socialist, but progressive. The politics right now within the party are definitely center left, but that's because those are mainstream politics, uh, meaning that what you saw going on in New York, what you saw going on in other congressional districts are people who ran on platforms that are about mainstream ideas. The Bernie Sanders meaning, stuff? Meaning health care uh, for all, meaning a livable wage. I would even argue that although there's indicators that um, uh, unemployment is down, wages are stagnant. The idea that this economy is doing really, really well. It's one of the reasons that you're not able to run on it, because it's really not true um, out there for a lot of people. Um, so this idea uh, right now uh, within the party that there's a, a, a tug of war um, between maybe left and center politics, clearly what we're seeing is that uh, the base of our party, which I would say is the mainstream in our party, wants to talk about those issues. Those issues are important and they are mainstream healthcare. and they are mainstream issues. Whether you're talking about health care, whether you're talking about the environment, whether you're talking about education, uh, these are not radical ideas. Mike. You won't see this manifest itself for a while because Republican, we lived through this in 2010. It was probably more extreme than what's happening in the Democrat Party, but you saw more moderate Republicans losing um, to more you know, far-right conservative Republicans and then doing poorly in, 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 in general elections. So in the long term, the definition of the party, what you're seeing now are liberal Democrats, not like conservative, liberal Democrats in New York, in Massachusetts, losing congressional primaries. So the face of the Democrat Party, the ideology of the Democrat Party is going to be very different um, in two years. And so we'll see. There's going to be a fight, mm -hmm. just like there's been a fight on the Republican side. But that's there's a constant evolution in both parties. I, I, I would agree Real with quick, that. I've got a minute left. I, I agree with that. I'm not sure that what you're seeing right now within the Democratic Party um, is going to be as severe as what we saw in 2010 in the Republican Party based on the numbers of people who will be elected this November. Mm. Um, I don't think you're going to see what you saw with the Tea Party in 2010 happen in the Democratic we'll Party uh, in 2018. Guys, seconds left. Look at the civil, respectful, collegial discussion between a Republican, Mike Duhame, a Democrat, um, Brenda Gill. Why is this not taking place across the country and why is there so much polarization? divisiveness and, hey, we there, can't talk. The media, 30 seconds, The go. media's changed tremendously now. You can self-select what you do. The media, oh, now it's us, Mike? It's you. It's your fault. No, it's, it's, fault. No, it's, it's, allowed, people, it's allowed people to, it's allowed people to self-select. So uh, if you're a Republican, you can you can get your news from Breitbart. You can watch, listen to Hannity and Rush in the car and then watch Fox News when you get home. Same with the Democrat. You can watch MSNBC. You have to have actual discourse with real-life human Brandon, beings. Brendan, what do you got? A few seconds. I, I agree, and I would say, uh, finally, that uh, it's okay to be passionate. We have to accept that it's okay to be passionate Not about nasty issues. nasty and name but, Calling and we but, can't talk. But right, but that we can we can agree to disagree uh, and work towards common purpose. I still that's why I'm involved. I still believe that, and we can still get there. Brandon Gill, Mike Duhame, I'm Steve Adubato. Just Thanks, listening Steve. to these guys. Check you out on the State of Affairs next time. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate See you next it. time. Thanks. Thank you. That was good. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the New Jersey Education Association, the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, the Northward Center, New Jersey Sharing Network, Summit Medical Group, Delta Dental of New Jersey, and by Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters, your future is in our building. Hi, I'm Dennis Wilson, President and CEO of Delta Dental of New Jersey. You probably know that visiting your dentist and daily at-home care are necessary for maintaining good oral health. What you might not know is that your oral health is connected to your overall health. 
Oral health may impact conditions like diabetes, blood disorders, and heart disease. Regular cleanings and checkups allow your dentist to assess your risk and keep you and your smile healthy. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources.